Thank you, choir. Well, last Sunday we started a brand new series uh, entitled The Call, and uh, we're looking at a portion of the life of Moses. Probably most everybody in here is familiar with Moses. If not, I'll catch up on him here in just a few moments. But Moses is the kind of the central figure to a degree of what we're going to be looking at here these next few weeks in, a, in the midst of this message series entitled the call. And so last Sunday, we kicked this off. And what we did was we kind of went back, remind ourselves a little bit about Moses, a little bit about some of the details of his life. But one of the comments I made last Sunday, and this is going to be true all the way through this whole entire series, is that as, as tempting as it is to focus on Moses in this series, and he is a key figure, obviously, when we're looking at Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush, and God calls to him and all those details. Really, this is more of a story about God before it's a story about Moses. And I would be willing to say at the same time that this whole passage of Scripture, this whole entire series, is going to be a story about God, and it's going to be a story about you and about me before it's a story about Moses. And so Moses is just kind of the, he's the playing piece on the, on the board, right? And God has worked in Moses' life in real time, and this is a real story, all of it really happened. And yet out of that story we're going to be reading here and focusing on in these next few weeks in Exodus 3, God still does that same kind of stuff today. Now we don't see burning bushes so much today, but we still see the same principles of how God works in the lives of people today. And the things that Moses would be called to are the exact same types of calls that God places on lives of people even like us this morning. And so this is an incredibly important series because of what God did in Moses' life, because of the principles that were there and uh, because of what God wants to do in our lives as well. So last Sunday, we kicked it off, and we looked at the fact that God calls each and every one of us, first of all, to a relationship with himself. That long before God calls us to something, and in your mind, you know of all the different things God's called you to. He may have called you to a workplace. He's called you to a house. He's called you to a spouse. He called you to the city. He's called you to do great things, to you know, rescue the hurting and to save the animals and all these different things that you may feel like, hey, God's called me to do this. Above and beyond all of that, God first calls us to a relationship with himself, a very personal relationship. And that's what we unpacked last Sunday, that long before God calls us to do anything, he calls us to be someone. He calls us to be in relationship with him, defined by his son, Jesus Christ, that we be children of God, that we be in relationship ultimately with him. Everything else spins out of that. And so God first calls us to relationship. So last Sunday, the call to relationship. Today, I want us to look at a message entitled, The Call to Trust. The Call to Trust. We won't jump in yet, but if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to be uh, starting there here in just a few moments. Exodus chapter 3. In fact, you can go ahead and mark that passage for the next few weeks because that's going to be where, again, the bulk of our time is going to be there in Exodus chapter 3, looking at the story of Moses and what God wants us to pull out of that. So when we think about trusting God, that, um, that unpacks differently for different people in this room. When you think about trusting God, it is a very easy thing to do. You were raised in a Christian household, perhaps. You were raised in a family where you always said the blessing at the dinner table. Your mom or your dad made sure that you had devotions at night, you know, before you went to sleep. You know, you had prayers at night, and whenever there would be, you know, uh, circumstances would be difficult in your lives as a family, it'd be mom or dad that would come and say, hey, we're going to pray about this. Let's see what God wants us to do here. And that was just kind of a part of the fabric of who you were when you were raised. And so when you think about trusting God, that is a very easy thing for some of you here. And it's very easy. You've got a long track record, right, of having trusted God and you, uh, having prayed for things, see God come, come to work on your behalf. You, you know what it means to trust God, and it's very easy for you to do that. But for others here today, in each of our two services this morning, 
when you think about trusting God, it is somewhat of a blank slate. You don't know really quite how to do that. And you see friends that seem to trust God, things turn out pretty well, and you wish you had that kind of a trust, but it doesn't come that easily. Maybe you're a fairly new follower of Christ, and, and you don't you, know, you haven't had the, the, the ability or the luxury, so to speak, to, to spend a lot of time in Scripture yet. And so a lot of the things in the Bible uh, are, are very new to you. And when you think about trusting a God that you can't see with your eyes, or you can't feel with your hands, you can't pick up the phone, hear His voice, or, or you know, get an email from heaven, it, it makes it very difficult to trust Him. And maybe for some of you, you really have questions like this. You know, is, is trust built on something, or is it just blind? You know, it, it, like blind faith, it, it's trust, does it have any kind of a foundation that makes it stable? Or am I supposed to just trust blindly and hope for the best? That's a very real question for some of you. For some of you, you may wonder, well, is, is trust just belief? I mean, if I believe God, does that mean then I trust him? Or is there more to the equation? What exactly is trust? That's probably a question that many of you ask. On top of that, it becomes a difficulty of knowing that, that there are a lot of things and people in your life that you have trusted that have let you down. Maybe you trusted that your money would always be there. The economy turned or the, you know, the company goes a different direction. Uh, you lose your job or you get you know, downsized. And you find that the finances that you trusted in, well, they, they have a way of disappearing, don't they? <laughs> You know, what, what the old saying, money speaks, I heard one guy say, the only thing it says to me is bye-bye. Yeah, that may be the, kind of the case for you. You know, you trusted in money, you trusted in status, you trusted in a job, you trusted in a career, and now all that's gone. Maybe you trusted in a relationship, and you found that relationships aren't made, relationships with one another interpersonally, they're not made to carry the weight of the trust of our entire lives. That yes, God gives them to us, and yes, God puts parameters, and he puts boundaries there, and yes, they're a great blessing. But maybe what you found is that relationships, in a lot of ways, they come to an end or they change and, and they, they can't identify who we are. They're not, they're not made to carry the weight of our trust. Maybe you trusted in, uh, in circumstances, you know, things would turn out good for you and you just sort of hope for the best. You say a quick prayer when you go to bed and you know, I just trust it. it's all going to be good. It's all going to pan out in the end, right? And it hasn't. It's been difficult. And so now you think about trusting God. And your whole track record in life may be everything else I've trusted, everybody else I've trusted has ultimately let me down. So how do I trust God? That's what I want us to look at this morning. And it's interesting because wrapped up in the call of Moses, as dramatic as it was, you know, whenever you know, he's at the burning bush, we're going to read this in just a second. You, you've probably seen the movies, right, that display all this. When he's at the burning bush and all these things are happening, you may not have recognized that wrapped up in that call in Moses' life was a call from God to Moses to trust him. And, and it's much the same call that God places the lives of people today still. Moses is an interesting character in Scripture. He was, uh, he was one who understand, under, understood very early on that life is unfair, life is very complicated, life is very difficult, life is very grown up. Moses learned that quickly. At the age of three months old, his, uh, his mom and dad had to make the difficult decision to basically place him in a wicker basket and set him by the edge of the Nile River, the Bible says. Not because they were mean, wicked, nasty people, but they did that because the king of the land where they were living, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had placed a decree, basically. Uh, he, he'd given the command that all of the Jewish male children were to be ultimately executed, murdered, done away with, disposed of at the very moment they were born. The Pharaoh made this decision because the Israelite people living in Egypt at the time were, were becoming so heavily populated that Pharaoh, king of Egypt, was afraid they were going to just basically overtake their land. So he said, every male, every boy who's born to a Jewish mother, just do away with him. 
So Moses was born to a Jewish mother, to a Jewish father. He was hidden in secret for three months. And at the end of that three months, his mother, the Bible says, placed him in that wicker basket at the edge of the Nile. He would ultimately grow up in a somewhat of a weird, weird set of circumstances. He'd be Jewish by birth, Jewish by heritage. He'd be part of God's people, so to speak, eventually. Yet, he was also living in the land of Egypt. He was raised in Pharaoh's household. One of Pharaoh's own daughters would find him, and he would be raised in, in, in basically royalty. And so uh, Moses, when he would look back over the course of his life, he would, he would know that, you know, life is hard. He would probably wonder to himself, who exactly am I? Am I Egyptian? Am I Hebrew? You know, am I Jewish? Who, who am I? He would know the difficulties of, uh, of life. You know, the complications of life. When he would get to about the age of 40, as we looked at last Sunday, he would make a decision that would change the scope of his whole entire life. He would see one of his own people being beat down by an Egyptian guard, basically, and Moses would take matters into his own hands. He, he would go and he would take that Egyptian guard, he would kill him, he would hide him in the sand, the Bible tells us, and the next day when everybody learned what had happened, Moses hits the road for his own life. He takes off, he hightails it out to the far country, out to the wilderness, to the backside of the desert, so to speak, where he starts working for his father-in-law, tending sheep. Moses would know that life is complicated. Moses would know that life is difficult. Moses would know that life is unfair. And yet it was in those circumstances that God would call him, call him to a relationship with himself, God would, but he would also call him to trust him. God would say, Moses, trust me. And so let's jump in here. Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read down through a portion of chapter 3 and then make application as we go. Looking at a message entitled, The Call to Trust. Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. If you don't have your Bible, you can read along with me on the overhead. It begins in verse 1. Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord, that, that's a reference to Jesus before the New Testament. The, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. And so Moses said, I must turn aside now, see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. So this is a very ordinary setting. Moses is in a place of isolation. He is with nobody but a bunch of sheep. Don't know how much time you spent with a bunch of sheep. Could not have been very engaging. So Moses is on the backside of the desert, tending these sheep for his father-in-law. And ultimately, it's there that God calls to him. Calls to him in very dramatic fashion. Calls to him from the midst of a bush that was on fire, burning, blazing, uh, and yet it wasn't burned up. It wasn't consumed. And so God calls to him. Ultimately, that's the, that's the scene that we see. Let's move to verse 4. It says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. And he said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he, God, said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said also, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Listen, whenever you think about trusting God, whenever you think about being in a relationship with him, those two are, 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 are uh, uh, interrelated, trust and relationship, more than we realize. Because when we think about being in a relationship with God, not just, oh, I know who he is, not just, well, I've heard about him, or not just, yeah, I've read a lot of his book, or not just, yeah, I, I go to church, 
But when we think about really being in a relationship where when we talk, we know God hears us, where we have assurance in our lives that when my eyes close in death, whether that's sometime later today or a hundred years from now, that I'm going to go to heaven because I have a relationship with him. When we think about that kind of a relationship, where it is ongoing, and it is vibrant, and it is, it is uh, meaningful, and it makes an impact on our lives that marks us, changes us for who we are. When we think of that kind of relationship, listen, trust is the backbone of that relationship. Once we are in relationship with God through a relationship with Christ, once we realize we've sinned and we trust Jesus to forgive us and to take over, then that relationship, whether it grows or whether it begins to dry up, that relation, that all of that will be determined by how much we trust God, how much we depend on Him, how much we trust Him, and whether or not we are willing to put feet to the action. Because when you think about it, there's a principle, I'll give you two of them this morning. There's a principle that comes out of this, this whole passage of Scripture, this whole entire message. And one of the principles is this, that genuine trust ultimately is belief plus action. Genuine trust is belief plus action action. It's the same with God as it is in life. So if you, if you ask the question, well, is trust just believing in God? Yes. But is there more? Yes. <laughs> trust is believing in God, but it is not merely believing in God. You know, th- this isn't a foreign concept, by the way, because you, you, you live this way in life. Your trust is proven not just by your belief, but by your actions. Let me take, take a moment here. I'll show you a picture. The, the uh, Kapalana Suspension Bridge. This is in um, Vancouver, British Columbia. You, uh, you see this bridge there. It's uh, an enormous bridge. I don't know if any of you have ever been there. It's over the Kapalana River there in British Columbia, Vancouver. It is uh, 230 feet above the river. It is 450 feet from start to finish. This bridge, interestingly, was built in 1889. It's about 125 years old. So if you ever travel to this spot on the map and you're standing there at the edge of that bridge, you can look at it and be taken by, by just the incredible view that's there. Uh, you can have every desire in the world to cross that bridge and to be able to come home and put on your Facebook, hey, I crossed this bridge, take a little selfie right in the middle of it. You can do all, you'd be tempted to do all that, right? But you're not going to be able to cross that bridge until you first trust it. And trusting that bridge is more than just believing in it. See, you can do some homework as to who all has, has uh, you know, walked across it before. And as you're trying to decide, do I want to take this first step? By the way, here's a picture of what the first step might look like. That's a little bit imposing, isn't it? Yeah, that's a little imposing. And when you're standing right there on that spot and you're deciding, or right, am I going to do this thing or am I not? This is 230 feet to the river below. This is 450 feet across. And uh, I don't know if I'm willing to do this. When you're determining whether or not you trust that bridge, you're going to maybe consider who it was that built it. Good luck with that because it was a long time ago, 125 years ago. But you're going to look at the quality. You're going to take a look up at that bridge. You're going to look at the suspension. You're going to maybe t- reach out and touch it and shake a few things, kind of test a little bit. You're going to look and see who's crossed it before and if they seem to be doing okay. You're going to do all those things, right? You're going to take all those things into account. But at the end of the day, you do not trust that bridge until you are willing to turn your belief into action, until you're willing to take that first step and cross the thing, right? Don't come home all the way from Vancouver, and say, hey, I I saw this bridge, and man, I trusted it like nothing else in my life. Well, did you cross it? No. Don't say that, because if you don't cross it, you didn't trust it. Your trust, you can take the picture down, your trust 
is not just belief. Your trust is belief plus action. For, for us reading the Bible, right, it's, it's it, we'll call that action obedience. It's, it's belief. I believe in this. And it's, and it's action. It's obedience. It's following where God leads us. And when God comes to Moses here, interesting, interestingly, what he does here is that he calls Moses to trust him. He calls Moses to do something that he called nobody else to do, to lead the people of Israel out of slavery and towards the promised land. God called nobody else to do this at this point in history. He's calling Moses to a very unique step, but Moses would have to take him at his word. He would have to look back in the past at what God had done before, right? He would have to consider the promises that God had made, the, the builder of those promises. He would consider all those things, but Moses would have to decide, do I trust God and am I going to follow him or do I not? And it's the same for you. Man, I'm telling you, there are times in your life, whether you are a Christian or whether you're not, where you realize life is very hard. Again, life is very, very grown up. We live in a very grown up world and there are complications that come with that. There are challenges that come with that. There are huge decisions that we have to make. There are things that we're responsible for, that we have to manage, that we have to oversee. Life gets very complicated. And there are times when you're tempted to think, well, I'm a Christian. I followed God. I thought it was all going to be easy. God never promised that. Well, I'm a Christian. I prom- I, 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 I'm giving my life to Jesus. God's just going to make it all work out. Not necessarily. He'll work everything out for good. But he's not going to make decisions for us. We've got to seek him. We've got to consider his trustworthiness. But at the end of the day, we've got to decide, are we going to trust him? And that trust is more than believing him. That trust is also following where he leads. God does something interesting here. Look, look at verse 6 again. I know we just read it. Look at verse 6. Here's what he says to Moses. He, he, he comes to Moses. He calls him to a relationship with himself. He's about to drop the bombshell on him about what he's going to lead him to do. But God first says in verse 6, he says, by the way, here's, here's a little bit of who I am. Moses, remember Abraham? Yeah, yeah, I've heard all about Abraham. Father of the Hebrew people, yeah. Genesis chapter 12. He didn't have a Bible back then, but Moses wrote that part of the Bible, actually. But Moses, remember Abraham? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard all about him. Well, I'm, I'm the God of Abraham. You, you remember, remember his son Isaac? Yeah, yeah. I remember, yeah, Abraham took him up to a mountain, and he was going to offer him as a sacrifice, but, but you, God, you stepped in and said, no, 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 no don't, don't do this, because you were testing him. Yeah, I know, I know Isaac. God says, I'm the, I'm the God of Isaac. Remember Jacob, his son? Oh, yeah, he changed his name to Israel, right? Yeah, yeah, that's him. The dream, the people going up, people going up. Yeah. I'm the God of Jacob. In other words, what God is saying to Moses is, I'm about to call you to something bigger than you. And before you get there, when you're standing at the edge of deciding whether you're going to trust me, let me just remind you who I am. Your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, I'm the same God who came to them, blessed them, used them, worked in their lives. I'm the same God who's standing here talking to you today through this burning bush. Translation, you can trust me. Genuine trust is belief plus action. We move forward, verse 7 through verse, uh, let's go to Exodus chapter Chapter 3, verse 7. Exodus 3, verse 7. All right, we'll go old school. Here we go. Going to read it out of my Bible. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. Here's what God's saying in verse 7. He says, I know exactly what's going on with my people. I know everything they face, I know all of their challenges. I see where they are. I understand what they're going through. 
I know everything that the people of Egypt are doing to them, doing to them, pressing their finger down on them, turning them into slaves with every passing day. I see all of this. I'm aware of their sufferings. Go on to the, to the next slide. He says, so I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. In just a little bit, in a, uh, maybe a couple of weeks or so, we're going to look at a, uh, a message out of this series as to how God calls us out of and into. When he always calls us out of something to put something down, he always calls us to something that's better. God says, I'm going to call you out of this land to a land that is good and spacious, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, all these other ites that are in there. God says, verse 9, Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, he says to Moses, Come now, I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. There's an interesting balance there. Because God says in verse 10, I am going to send you. I am going to deliver my people. But at the end of verse 10, he also says, but Moses, you're going to be the one that leads them out. It'll be my work. And people are going to write a big old book in the days to come. Moses, you're going to have a part in the first five chapters of it. And people are going to remember what I'm going to do for centuries. They're going to be talking about this for centuries. It's going to be the crossing of the Red Sea. They're going to make movies about it. It's going to be incredible what I'm going to do. And people are going to remember me for what I've done, God says. But at the end of the day, you, Moses, are going to have a part. You have got to trust me, and you've got to lead them there. You see, Moses couldn't just say, oh, God, I, I believe you, I believe you, I believe you. Like he's at some you know, worked-up emotional crusade somewhere that he paid 10 bucks for a ticket for. God says, this ain't emotion here. You're going to have to come to where the rubber hits the road, plant your feet, and take the first step. You've got to trust me and follow. And it's the same thing, same exact thing. Same exact thing for us today. You know, interestingly, you look back at the three guys that, uh, that God will remind Moses of. And we see that demonstrated in their lives. Let's go back for a second to Genesis chapter 12. Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, you can turn there with me if you want to. In Genesis chapter 12, this is where God basically places the call on Abraham's life. This is one of the absolute most crucial passages in all of Scripture, especially as it relates to, uh, to missions today. Genesis chapter 12. Now look at what God says here. He says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country. This is Abraham. Go forth from your country. Here's the command. From your relatives, from your father's house, to the land that I will show you. God would say to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, I'm calling you out of and I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to leave everything that you know behind and I'm calling you to step out and trust me in faith. He says, verse 2, I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Here's the kicker. So what did Abraham do? So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. He didn't just say, I believe you, God. He, tr he trusted God. He believed God, and he followed where God led. Because trust is always belief plus action, belief plus obedience. God looks to Moses and he says, remember Abraham back then? I'm his God. Remember how he operated? I came to him, he trusted me, and he followed. So let's go on from Abraham to Isaac. You move on to Genesis uh, chapter 26. Let, let's look at what God says here to Isaac. He says, now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. And so Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and he said, do not go down to Egypt, God says to Isaac here. 
stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I'll be with you, and I'll bless you. For to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. All right, so God says, don't go anywhere to Isaac. He says, stay right here. And he says, I'll multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and I'll give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me, and he kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Isaac hears all that. Belief plus action. The response, so Isaac lived in Gerar. He did exactly what God said. He didn't go to Egypt. He stayed right where he was. Why? Because God said so. Did Isaac trust God? Yes, he did. How do we know that? Because he believed God, and he proved it by his actions. He stayed where God told him to stay. You know, there's another one. You look at Jacob. You move on a little bit further in the book of Genesis to chapter 35. It says, Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and live there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his whole household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel. Why would he leave them to do that? Because that's what God called him to do. He said, I'll make an altar there to God who answered me the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Did Jacob trust God? Yes, he did. Why? Because he believed him and he did exactly what God said. Trust is belief plus action. It's the way God would operate in Moses' life. It's the same way he still operates in our lives today. You know, you look at the rest of Moses' story here, at least a portion of it, you get to verse 11 and you find that Moses is a lot like us. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, we begin to see that Moses had a few questions for God. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? See, Moses began to doubt. God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to point you back to my promises in the past, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I'm going to remind you of what I've done in their lives. I'm going to show you what trust looks like. It's belief plus action. And yet God, and Moses did just like we do, didn't he? He begins to question God. He begins to doubt. He doesn't follow initially. Look at what God says. This is, this is a turning point, I think, for a lot of us in verse 12. Verse 12, look at what he says. And God said, certainly I will be with you, he says to Moses. You want a sign? <laughs> we all like to talk about signs, don't we? This will be the sign to you that it's I who've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. We like our signs, don't we? Oh God, if you're really leading this direction, God, just confirm it. God, just give me a sign. We, we do that, don't we? Just give me a sign. When I turn on the radio, let this song be on the radio. All right? Turn on the radio. Oh, it's not there. I guess God's not leading. We do that kind of silly stuff, don't we? And we got a whole book God wrote. We got God Himself, the Holy Spirit, just a whole series on that. The Holy Spirit living in us to confirm where God's leading in our life. We got a whole book. We got other Christians to lean on, to talk to. That's called Wise Counsel. We get to pray, and God responds to our prayers, not with audible voices and burning bushes, but much louder than that. He speaks to the depths of who we are in our heart because He can do that. He's God. And yet we're still looking for signs many times. And we come to a place where we, we think God may be leading us somewhere and we say, God, give me a sign. God says, I'll give you a sign, Moses. And d- d- does anything stand out to you as a little bit odd from that verse? I remember there was a point in my Christian life when I read this verse and I thought, something is backwards there. God gives him the sign 
after he already obeyed and followed. Did, did you catch that? God doesn't say, I'm going to give you a sign before. I'm going to give you a sign after. That, that's, that's, almost, that's, almost, uh, that's almost just a little bit wrong, isn't it? Right? God says, I'm going to give you a sign, all right, but I'm not going to give you the sign before I tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you what to do, and you're going to know it in your heart. You've got to decide whether you trust me, meaning you believe me, and you're going to put that to action. You're going to follow me, and I'll give you the confirmation after you trust me and follow. Let's do it that way, God says. He says to Moses, this will be your sign. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, in other words, when you leave this desert and when you go stand with your knees knocking in front of the most powerful man on this earth, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and when you say to him, with all the authority I give you, let my people go, when you do that, and ultimately when I command you after that to show my power through 10 different signs to Pharaoh, and when the last one comes and he finally lets you go, and you've led the people out of this place, and you are no longer in Egypt, but you're trucking it across towards the promised land, when that happens, Moses, then I'll give you your sign. So are you in this or are you not? Are you going to trust me? Are you just going to do a lot of big talk about who you are? Are you going to follow me and show me the depth of your trust? You know, interestingly, this happens again in life in a lot of different ways. Look, for example, in relationship. Look in marriage, for, for, for example. You know, when you, when you are, are married, when, when you're single and then you get married, you are called to make a lot of adjustments, aren't you? <laughs> Don't elbow the person sitting next to you if that happens to be your wife or your husband. You're called to make a lot of adjustments. You, you don't know certain things until after you're married, right? You, you don't know always some of the moods that they hid really well during the dating time. And then you're married, it's like, whoa, good gracious of living. Who is this person that I have married? You didn't know that. You got to make an adjustment to that. You didn't know they leave the, you know, the old classic, they, they, they don't put the toothpaste you know, thing back on the top of the toothpaste. They, they don't do that. All those little goofy little things. You learn all that. And what you have to do when you get married is you are, are, are commanded, you are called, and your marriage is not going to work unless you make adjustments. Because there are things you're going to learn about your spouse and you didn't know were there before you got married. And after you get married, then you learn all these adjustments that have to come. And you have to make these adjustments as they go. Some of them are minor and you laugh about them, others are not so easy. And yet you are called to make all these adjustments. You know what? It's much like that in our relationship with God, except for one minor difference in that we do not have to adjust to God's shortcomings because he has none. But we do also, because of our relationship with him, we do constantly have to adjust our will to his. It's the nature of the relationship. Just as it's the nature of a marriage to adjust to the shortcomings of the other person, that's what commitment looks like. That's what marriage relationship looks like. It's the nature of our relationship with God to adjust as well, not to his shortcomings, but ultimately to his lordship and to his reign over our lives. And there will be times when he will call you to do things that are not easy. There will be times he will call you to do things that you do not want to do. And you will have to decide, do I really trust him? Because if I really trust him, I will not only believe him, but I will follow him. And I will adjust my will to his. In other words, as a second principle that comes out of this, we find that God will make sure, he will make absolutely certain that your relationship with him leaves room for trust. I remember when I was a little kid and I gave my life to Christ, I would get older and I would begin to have doubts about my relationship with God. You know, 
silly doubts now looking back. Did I pray right? Did I, was my heart right? And did I really mean it? Overanalyzing all kinds of things. I have a tendency to do that. And I remember I would have paid all the money I had, which was very little, probably like from cutting grass or something. I would have paid everything I had if God could just send me a letter from heaven that said, Dear Brooks, I heard your prayer. You are, you are saved. You're going to heaven. Chill out. Love God. Right? I would have loved to have had that. <laughs> but I have never gotten a letter like that from God. Is he wrong in the fact that he doesn't do that? No. But rather, he sends me to his word to find what salvation looks like. And he would send me to other people who were far more mature in my walk at that point than I was, who could give me counsel, reflective of the truth of his word. To the point to where I would ultimately have to come to the place where I would have to trust God at his word. And to where I would have to follow based on what his word says. You know, there are times in your life when you have decisions to make. And you probably wish you could get one of those letters from heaven, don't you? God, am I supposed to marry him? God, am I supposed to propose to her? God, am I supposed to take this job? God, what college am I supposed to go to? God, do we need to sell the house? God, are we supposed to downsize? God, should we put the kids in this school or that school? God, what should we do? What should we do? What should we do? What should we do? Where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to go? God, 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 God. And we long for a sign and we long for God just to confirm it. You know what? God is always going to leave room in your relationship with him for trust. It is the way he works. And yes, he can give you affirmation. Yes, he can give you confirmation. Yes, he can bring you to a place in your life where you feel 100% certain that this is where God is leading me. But you still have to step out and trust him and follow. And if you don't, you do not trust him. Because the other people we read of in scripture, <laughs> when they trusted him, they went where he led. And so maybe for us, we need to begin asking ourselves when we come to the crossroads, we face that big decision, or we begin to really uh, take inventory of our lives, and we decide, what does a relationship with God look like? Do I really trust Him? Maybe we need to ask the first question, am I in a relationship with Him? And if you have given your life to Christ, and if you've trusted Jesus to forgive you and take over, if you've genuinely done that, maybe the next question is, Rather than how much will it cost me to follow him? What am I going to have to give up if I follow God? What am I going to have to do without if I follow God? Maybe we need to quit asking those questions and say, what will it cost me if I don't follow him? Because where God calls, where God leads, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in career, whether it's in any area of life, when God calls, he has a plan. And what we find in scripture is that God's plans for us are better than any plans we could dream up for ourselves. And at that point of decision, when we stand at the foot of the bridge and God says, I'm calling, we can believe all we want, but that's not trust. We've got to believe and follow. And if we don't, to some degree, the plans that he had, the things that he wanted to do, we never realize. Because we didn't trust him enough to go where he led. So do you trust him today? Do you trust him to do whatever he tells you? Do you trust him enough to follow wherever he leads you? Do you trust him enough to love him despite circumstances? 
because you know he's for you and not against you? And do you first know him in relationship because you've laid down your sin and invited Jesus himself to come in, forgive, and take over? Let's pray. Lord, Moses would learn things 